It's time. Time for stimulating talk. Time for thought-provoking conversation. Time for the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC's 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. And speaking of scoops, welcome. Welcome to the show today. We're here on WICC. Jamie Stevenson, who's running against Jim Himes, she's got the Republican endorsement. Uh, She's given us authorization to let you know, we will be the first outlet to let you know, that she has gotten the independent endorsement as well. And she is going to be joining us at 11.15 this morning. So you heard it here first right here on WICC, the Lisa Wexler Show, that Jamie Stevenson has gotten the independent endorsement. She's coming on at 11.15. All of our guests understand that when they come on the show, they need to be able to respond to a question from you, an unplanted, un, un-anything kind of question that you can call in as a member of our audience at 203-333-9422. So Jamie Stevenson has thrown her hat in the ring. She already has the Republican endorsement. She is the former first select woman of Darien for many terms, I think five, and she has five kids. And um, she has staked out her own position on a lot of issues, including being pro-choice. And she's going to be joining us at 11.15 this morning. So uh, we'll give her a warm welcome, as we always do. And then we'll follow up. We'll ask Congressman Himes to come on as well, probably in the next week sometime. 203-333-9422. Also joining us today is a woman who is very brave soul, has become an activist, even as she is battling terminal cancer. Her name is Linda Bluestein, but it might be Bluestein. I'm going to ask her how she prefers to pronounce it. And she's coming on. Uh, she'll be with us in the studio at 1030. And I'm looking forward to meeting her in person. And this is a woman who really believes that here in Connecticut, we should be able to have some agency, some control over uh, dying in circumstances in which we've already been given a sentence that we have a medical prognosis of a terminal illness. And with a lot of checks and balances to try and make sure that nobody is trying to, as my mother would say, get us off the stage before it's our time. So that's my mother's philosophy about giving all your stuff away. You know, we wrote a book years ago called Secrets of a Jewish Woman, Mother, not Woman, Secrets of a Jewish Mother, about 12 years ago. Jill, my sister, Jill Zarin, and I, and my mom wrote it together, and it was based on the wisdom of my mother. And um, and I wrote a lot of the book, but it's stories that are from all three of us in our lives. And one of the things my mommy always says, and she still says this is, you know, give your stuff away. She says, we spend the first 50 years of our life collecting stuff and the next 50 years giving it away. And that's true, by the way, if you're a healthy human being, you do. You spend the first 50 years of your life thinking, I need this. I need that. I want to have that collection of teacups. I, I want to have this amount. And, and, and this is what we do. We're nest building. We're building. We're building. And then all of a sudden, right around midlife, we realize, you know, we really don't need that much stuff. It's a little bit it's the antithesis of liberating. It's, it, it makes you a little heavy to carry all that stuff around. My own philosophy is that anybody who's got a storage facility and actually pays to store stuff is not quite recognizing that anything you could afford to put in storage is something you probably will forget that you had and never need again, just in general. So uh, after the age of 50, my mother's philosophy is start giving it away. And every now and then I'll find a cardboard box on my stoop with, you know, a set of china or eight glasses or, or some kind of plates from somewhere that mommy said, you know, I don't need this anymore. I want you to have it. 
And of course, I never want the second wife to get it because God forbid if something happens to me first, your father is your father is primo in Florida. They're already looking for him. And I don't want the second wife to get anything that should belong to you and Jill. So my way of saying this is my mom also would say this. She would say one of the reasons that you want to start giving your stuff and your money away after the age of 50 is because you don't want to be rushed off the stage. <laughs> That's the way she puts it. And she's not wrong. Because there are people who wait around for their parents to die so they can have their money. And, you know, it's sort of a human thing. It may not be a nice thing to say out loud, and it's certainly not the right thing. But there are human beings who feel that way, and particularly if they have parents who've experienced memory loss, where they feel like they've lost the personality and the connection with their loved one a long time ago, and they see them in languishing in nursing homes and facilities where every bit of their dignity starts to be removed from them little by little, it's altogether a painful thing. So listen, it's not an easy topic to talk about, and there are many ways to approach it, but Linda Bluestein's coming in our studio at 1030. We're going to hear about it from her point of view. And I look forward to that conversation, 203-333-9422. Also, because it's Friday, 1130, don't forget the kindness of strangers. And I have a special thing to tell you about because I got some mail. Andrew, I got some mail from one of our regular contributors to a kindness of, to the kindness of strangers. And I'm going to talk about that at, at 1130, sort of with pictures, photos. Very cool. I know. Very, very cool. So stick around for that, 203-333-9422. All right, let me, let me do a little follow-up. We talked a lot yesterday and the day before about this Project Veritas situation where they descended. They're an undercover operation, and they descended or they found a particular weak link, I would say. They found a human being with hiring power. Jeremy Boland, who's an assistant, who was an assistant principal of Cobbs Cobb Elementary School. And he, in conversations that were clearly meant to be off the record with a person that he did not think was a journalist, but in two separate conversations, he was videotaped surreptitiously and audiotaped as well. And you can see the entire 10, 11 minute video yourself on Project Veritas if you want. Very easily found. It's also embedded in many of the articles that have since been published about this. But listen, the bottom line is he said several things that cause that are causing a tremendous amount of investigations. One of the things he said was that is that he thinks that people with a progressive mindset are people that transmit their values better in the classroom and that he was looking to hire those kind of people. Pretty much 30 was the cutoff. He was proud of the fact that he had hired four to five teachers and all of them were under 30. But if you were over 40, you pretty much could say goodbye. He distinguished between Catholics and Protestants and generalized that he thought, although he didn't know that much about religion, that Protestants seemed to be more liberal and Catholics, quote, brainwashed. And altogether, pretty much threw a lot of things in the kitchen sink that made a lot of people unhappy. So... Our own Attorney General, William Tong, has announced that he is doing a civil rights investigation into this. Yesterday, Fred Camillo, first selectman of Greenwich, was on our show. You can listen to it on SoundCloud or on WICC600.com. 
he announced that he was beginning an, ind- in, uh, an independent investigation with a law firm not affiliated with the town of Greenwich to do its own investigation because he did not trust that whatever results would be found by the Board of Ed would be trusted by the overall population of Greenwich. So he felt incumbent upon himself to do a separate independent investigation. And, of course, the Board of Ed is doing its own investigation. So that's three so far. Three. That's a lot. That's a lot of investigating into this. And I saw this morning that Trinity School, which is a posh private school uh, in Manhattan, had also apparently, according to the New York Post, Project Veritas has descended upon them, too, with a teacher caught saying things she shouldn't have said. So, listen, Project Veritas, I didn't know this. Did you know they're based in Mamaroneck? They're based right here in Westchester County. I did not know that. I don't know why I didn't know that, but I didn't. And so they're fanning out. So uh, they are. So they may be in a classroom near you or in a cafe near you or in a Starbucks near you because they're not that obvious about what they do. That's the point. They want to catch people saying stuff because they believe it's a reflection of what's really happening that people are not admitting to. And they specifically are caring about some hot-button cultural issues right now where they feel a lot of this language has been a form of indoctrination that has moved into our public school classrooms, and they feel that people are not being honest, that, that people in the classroom and those hiring for the classroom are not being honest about what is being said to our kids. So, you know, it was very interesting because I think I told you for a while that I've been getting emails And I don't know how I got on the list, but I'm happy to be on the list because I love to be on everybody's list. I've been getting emails from a group called Greenwich Patriots. The thing about Greenwich Patriots is they're a little bit coy about telling you exactly who was behind them. But the Greenwich Free Press a year ago did a pretty extensive article, which our producer, Melissa Chessman, dug up. And I'm now going to share with you what we found out. The woman who started Greenwich Patriots is a gal named Jackie Homan, H-O-M-A-N. And she started doing lawn signs a year ago, over a year ago, in mid-June of 2021, saying, unmask our children, ban critical race theory, protect medical freedom. But the signs had no attribution. Eventually, Greenwich Patriots, as a group, took credit for the sign. And eventually, Jackie Homan, who was a parent at Greenwich Schools, took credit for that. Now, there have been since uh, a number of Board of Ed meetings in which people have stood up, including Jackie and a couple of other parents, arguing that critical race theory was being taught in public schools. This may have prompted their call to Project Veritas because last March of 2022, they hosted James O'Keefe. They got to know him. And that may have been where the seeds were planted to see if, in fact, Project Veritas couldn't dig up something in Greenwich. So this thing in Greenwich has happened well over a year ago. And people are talking about what critical race theory is and isn't. Uh, Ms. Homan at a meeting described, quote, social and emotional learning as a euphemism for critical race theory. And um, Megan Galletta spoke, and she was nominated to something called the Greenwich High School Entryway Building Committee. And... Her nomination was controversial because of concerns that she participated in maskless gatherings. 
She and her ninth grade son criticized the public school's curriculum, saying, quote, it's obvious that the ugly, nasty political discourse in Washington has now infected Greenwich schools. And she was a she was a candidate in last year's Board of Ed election. I don't know if she won. Andrew, can you find out quickly if Megan Galletta, G-A-L-L-E-T-T-A, won last year? Anyway, the bottom line is last year, because it was municipal elections, there was a lot of Sturm und Drang about who should get elected and what they stood for. And in this deep dive in the Greenwich Free Press, Leslie Yeager, who publishes it and writes, you know, she writes most of the articles, she did a deep dive on Greenwich Patriots. And uh, one of the things that the Greenwich Patriots did that engendered some backlash is they did a survey of parents by going to the PTA handbook and trying to elicit responses from about 1,500 parents using contacts from both the Eastern Middle School and Western Middle School school directories. And um, those directories are published by the local PTAs. They emailed some Greenwich High School 10th grade parents as well, and they edited emails compiled from activities in school as well as sports. On Facebook, the feedback wasn't wasn't very good. A lot of parents felt that their emails were used for a purpose for which they were not intended, but they felt like they had a right to use them because those emails were semi-public and that they were published in a directory. And Greenwich Patriots said that 12% of those who were sent the survey got back to it. And uh, that was before Superintendent Tony Jones sent her email indicating the survey was not sponsored by the district and also contained inaccurate information. But Greenwich Patriots defended themselves. Ms. Holman defended herself, saying it wasn't intended to be a scientific survey. She said, quote, it was intended to raise awareness and spark discussion. And in the survey, they showed sample school assignments. They showed a seventh grade assignment on white privilege. They showed a ninth grade reading assignment on writing about Africa. And they included a graphic screenshot from a second grade remote lesson that had been assigned in error. And the school district admitted that and apologized for it. And apparently it had a graphic depiction of a penis to second graders. Very good. Okay. That's what I'm told. Anyway, they apologized for that. That should not have happened. But, but in this survey... The survey asked, given the sample assignments, whether the public school curriculum was suitable, yes or no. They wanted opinions. And the second question was open-ended for comments, and they promised anonymity. And uh, on August 30th, an email from Ms. Homan shared survey results. Now, this is August 30th of 2021. I just want to give you a little bit of deep dive into the group that sponsored the people that were uh, Project Veritas that has engendered now... She lost. Galetta lost. She questioned the recount, but she lost. So she's not currently serving on the board of ed. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. So anyway, I'm just letting you know a little bit about this because really one of the top news stories of the day is that Attorney General uh, Attorney General Andrew Tong is calling for a civil rights investigation into what happened in Greenwich. There are no fewer than two investigations in Greenwich alone, one being conducted by the first selectman's office and the other one being conducted by the board of ed. And obviously, Mr. Bolin hasn't been heard from yet, Jeremy Bolin, and he will no doubt have to get his counsel and tell his side of the story. And we look forward to hearing that because right now there's a piling on of only what we perceive to be the one side. But there may very well be other, there may be another side. 
And and we haven't heard that yet. 203-333-9422. Anyway, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is that in Greenwich, this has been percolating for over a year. Jackie Holman says that they've put up many, many signs and that hundreds of her group signs have been stolen. And, um, and she says, I don't think systemic racism exists. She says her Greenwich Patriots group has been meeting on Saturdays outdoors at Eastern Middle School. Um, and she is troubled by the Greenwich School's curriculum, but she's also troubled by COVID mask mandates and specifically troubled by COVID-19 vaccinations, although she said that among Greenwich Patriots members, quote, curriculum is the bigger group. And then she said masking is detrimental to the mental and physical health of children. She talks about the fact that she had Lyme disease that went undiagnosed by 40 doctors, and she doesn't trust Pfizer, and she doesn't trust any of the companies that are making our vaccines for COVID right now. And, and she feels that because it's a profit motive behind it, that they are not trustworthy. So that's who Jackie Holman is, and she's behind Greenwich Patriots. And she feels very, very strongly that her rights to free speech have been squashed, have been completely, um, have, been, have been trampled on uh, during the last couple of years with COVID and all of this. And she also said COVID is, quote, just a cold and that natural remedies are more effective than COVID vaccines. So she goes on about what she thinks about COVID, but in terms of leading an organization that is designed to take a very close look at the Greenwich curriculum, this is who was behind that. 203-333-9422. And just so you know, on March 6, 2022, from 4 to 6 p.m., Greenwich Patriots hosted an event which was a book talk with James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to be right back. There's lots more news in the news. I'm just trying to give you some background and context so you get the big picture. 203-333-9422. By all means, give me a call. We'll be back. Search for the WICC 600 app on your smartphone and listen to Lisa anywhere. The Lisa Wexler Show is back on WICC 600 the show, we are going to be having a conversation about the right to die uh, with terminal cancer patient Linda Bluestein, who's expected in our studio soon, and and her attorney, her attorney Heller. So we're going to get into that as well. And we invite you to be part of the conversation. Meantime, in some election skirmishes going on here in Connecticut, you know, the, um, the Bridgeport election for state rep between Marcus Brown and Jack, what's his name? Jack Hennessy. Jack Hennessy's the incumbent. This is a primary. They're both Democrats. Jack Hennessy and Marcus Brown has been a flip-flop pretty much ever since the election was held. First it, first it was Marcus Brown up five. Then it was Jack Hennessy up two. Then it was Marcus Brown up two. Then it was nine missing ballots. Anyway, uh Mr. Hennessy is not going without a fight. He feels that the election needs to be done over. So he is challenging in Superior Court, uh, even though there have been hearings held all along in Superior Court as to how to best look at the primary election. Mr. Hennessy is saying it's just not fair. And I think we need to do over and we need to do over with certain constraints and certain requirements. So we'll see. Anyway, that's one thing going on. And the other thing going on is that Bob Stefanowski's in the news today for two reasons. One, he's in the news because he filed a legal challenge to keep 
the independent party governor candidate off the ballot. He is saying, look, if you won't let me have it, Rob Hodling can't have it either. And uh, nine days after the Independent Party of Connecticut rejected Republican Bob Stefanowski for a cross endorsement that four years ago gave him another 25,000 votes, not 25,000 ballots, the GOP candidate for governor on Thursday, yesterday, Mr. Stefanowski, filed a request in state superior court to overturn the selection of Rob Hodling of Cheshire to be the minor party candidate for governor. Um, He said this in his legal team in a 50-page complaint seeking an expedited hearing on the issue. Obviously, it needs to be expedited. There's no time to waste. It's election season. He says the Independent Party of Connecticut nominated Mr. Hodling in violation of the rules and bylaws and Connecticut law. And therefore, there is no lawful nominee of the Independent Party because no candidate achieved 51% of the votes cast at the caucus. Uh, you know that this was a whole big deal. He cried foul on August thirty, on August 23rd, during the night where hundreds of people attended the Independent Party Caucus in Guilford. Uh, it was deadlocked at 79 votes each, and then Chairman Michael Teleska announced that he would break the tie. But they alleged that Teleska had already voted as part of the 79, and therefore he voted twice. They predicted a lawsuit would follow, and here it is. First, they went to the Independent Party, and they said, will you please reconsider? And they said no. Then they went, this is Stefanowski's team, then they went to the Secretary of State and said, will you get involved? And the Secretary of State said no. So now they felt they had no choice. They've got to go to the courts. And we'll see what the courts say about it. So those are two local, statewide election challenges of interest uh, that I think are really important. The other reason uh, Bob Stefanowski's in the news today is because the Hartford Current published a headline that said that Bob Stefanowski in the years 20 and 21, and I don't know if this is combined or together, earned $28 million more than Governor Lamont. Now, obviously, we know it's much more than Governor Lamont's salary as the governor. I mean, what is that? Chump change to these people. It's what people, normal people live on, but to these people, it's chump change. Uh, But anyway, let me see if I can find more details of it. So as far as we know, Bob Stefanowski is a candidate. He's not working in any business. He did his – he worked for GE for many years. He did very well as an executive there. And then he went to another company, this uh, paycheck company, and he obviously earned a lot more money than many of us ever realized because – In order to earn millions of dollars and not be working, it means you're earning millions of dollars on the already millions of dollars that you own. According to this, he earned $28 million during, and this is a word now, 2020 and 2021. So whether that means combined or in each year, it's unclear. He released his federal tax returns after 11 p.m. Thursday. Oh, here it is. It's more clear. He earned about $15.7 million in 2020 and $13.6 million in 2021, marking a sharp uptick from the previous year of $7.38 million. But he earned over $36 million in total income in three years. He has set aside $10 million to fund his current ca- campaign, which is a lot more than he spent in 2018. And, um, and he released his tax returns, which to, is to his credit for sure. Lamont's wife, Annie, who is a highly successful venture capitalist, she has not released her tax return. She files taxes separately from Ned Lamont. The Stefanowskis file a joint return. And we know that Annie Lamont is considered to be one of the most successful venture capitalists in the country. 
So uh, in any event, um, there's going to be back and forth and accusations. I'm really not interested in those. But listen, the bottom line is he examined his tax returns. If you go to the Hartford Current, you might be able to see a little bit of them. Presumably, a lot of the money is what we would call um, investment income. Because as far as I know, you know, they're not actively, Bob Stefanowski anyway, is not actively earning anymore. He is running for governor. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to be right back with uh, Linda Bluestein, and I'll find out if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. And we're going to talk about a subject that's pretty serious uh, and pretty intense, but I think it's something that everybody has a stake in hearing about. And that is, what are our laws and regulations in Connecticut? What should they be? What are they? with respect to our right to die in certain circumstances. Believe me, not in every. 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. Where Westport comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. So, you know, we don't shy away from the big things here on the Lisa Wexler Show. What could be bigger than talking about the end, the thing that we're all going to face at one point or another, although we don't really know how and we don't get much choice over it. Uh, Linda Bluestein is in the studio with us. She has been profiled in many places, and she is here to talk about, with her attorney, Amitai Heller, about her advocacy on behalf of people who are facing a terminal illness and the right in Connecticut to be able to take that decision to some extent into their own hands and prepare for dying uh, in a way and at a time and a place that they choose. Linda Bluestein is with us in the studio. So is her husband, Paul. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. And Amitai Heller. Amitai Heller, are you there as well? I'm here. Can you hear me? I definitely can. Okay, so... Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning. Let me just begin with where the law is and why, Linda, we asked you to come in the studio. Um, It looks like, at least according to this article, maybe it's wrong, but it looks like you are challenging a particular statute in Vermont, which has been written to allow people who are residents of Vermont the right to end their own lives under certain circumstances if they have a terminal illness. We do not have that right currently in Connecticut. And from what I read, Linda, it looks like you and your counsel are challenging on a constitutional basis the right of Vermont to exclude non-residents from taking themselves, from making themselves, um, availing themselves of this law. Is that correct? rather Abitai um, speak to the constitutional issues. I'm here because I am advocating for how I'm going to be living. Okay. Medical aid in dying assumes that I have a choice between living and dying, but that's not the choice at all. <clears throat> By the time my illness progresses to where I'm in hospice care, my end has been predetermined, right? And it's how long do I need to continue suffering? It's, it's a lot about fear. It's a lot about having held my mother in my arms as she died a death that she did not want. So, Linda, what's your diagnosis? I have uh, in-stage fallopian tube cancer, which is a rare form of ovarian cancer. One in 100 women will have ovarian cancer. And usually, by the time it's found, it's already metastasized, as mine did. And, uh, I so. should just have my tubes removed. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like nothing. It's it's an outpatient nothing. A good friend of mine whose mom died of ovarian cancer when she was only 19, she's begged me. She begs all women she knows. She says if you remove your fallopian tubes, you radically reduce your risk of getting ovarian cancer to begin with. Um, I'm, I'm not, sorry, I'm Linda. I'm going to speak to the medical issues. I, I'm you know, sorry. I, I'm at a place now where... I've ex- I've gone through the, all the rage and the, all the other things. I'm at a place of acceptance, and I know that I've been given um, a remission, which I found out yesterday. I'm definitely not in remission. Just yesterday, you found mm-hmm. out. Just yesterday. You look so beautiful in the studio. I have to get a picture of you. I I make an effort. Lisa. You look beautiful. <clears throat> you have your hair. Your hair is magnificent. It's shiny and healthy and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Your color looks good. It just came back. The hair. Uh, yeah, I saw pictures yes. that you had lost. So it. that um, I I looked good when I was in the ICU and I was FaceTiming with my husband, you know, uh, who couldn't come to visit me. You know, having the terrible surgery and this having this disease appear last year during COVID was awful. Being, I was in isolation. So when did you get your diagnosis? Just last year? March 15th. How old are you? I'm 75. Yeah, I look a lot younger. I was 74, um, and it was quite a shock to me. I sure. Thought, thought it I is had, young to be in your 70s and get that diagnosis. thought I had diverticulosis because I was bloating, and I had just these undistinguished symptoms, and that's why they call ovarian cancer the, the hidden killer because you don't know you've got it until it's really too late. You had bloating, huh? Mm-hmm. All the stuff women go through, cramping, bloating, you know, just feeling kind of off, but, you know, nothing big. And so it was my gastroenterologist who diagnosed this with a CAT scan. And within a week, I was in Smilo Cancer Hospital in New Haven. And during the time of COVID, he dropped me off at the front door, maybe for the last time. So you have had this remission, and you just found out yesterday you're not in remission anymore? it confirmed. the, The cancer antigen in my blood test has been doubling, and then it doubled again. And yesterday, when I got the results of my blood test I had just yesterday, it was up significantly again. So um, I know that my next visit with my oncologist will be, what's next, Linda? Are you working with Dr. Elena Ratner by any chance? No, I'm with um, Dr. Neil Fishback uh, at uh, Yale. She's at Yale, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, just wondering, because she's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, So... We're chatting with Linda Bluestein. So I'm sorry to hear this news. We're all dying, Melissa. Lisa. <laughs> Lisa, I, I'm sorry. This is true. We're all living and we're all dying and, and, at the same time. I, I just, right. I, I have a better idea of where I'm going to be and when and, and all the things, all the important conversations I want to have. And So what's wrong with the law in Connecticut that you would like to change? Like what, what are we not doing that would make you have more peace? Well, peace is knowing that when my suffering is so great that I can have what every person at the end of life that I know goes through is, can I please just, um, as a friend's mother said, can I I just wake up dead? I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning, and that will be an option for me. Mm -hmm. Whether or not I use it, that gives me a tremendous sense of not only agency but peace. It is how I want to live. Okay, I want to live to the point where when I've had my goodbyes and I have my family with me and and my family is very supportive of my decisions by the way um, that I can say you know tonight I just like to go to sleep and say goodbye to you all and and you'll do that with pills I mean is that your preferred thing that you want to hoard some pills that will put you I don't want to be my own doctor 
Okay. Lisa, for heaven's sakes. That's I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how far along you've, you've thought why, about this. That's, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I, I will move to Vermont uh, when, I, when my disease progresses to the point where I'm in hospice, where I have six months or less to live. We, if Connecticut has not changed its laws, Paul and I will relocate. You will move. Uh, let's go to, we've got one call so far. Bill from Fairfield, you're on the air with Linda Bluestein. Hello, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear God, Bill? I'm so, by, I'm so touched by this. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Is, is it Linda? It is. Linda, um, this is so personal for me. For one, Dr. Fishbach, I've watched him personally uh, perform miracles. So I, I was very happy to hear you say that you were in his hands and his, his practice. Um, but boy, oh boy. You'll get through this, I'm sure, because of your determination. And the and this this law or whatever is coming in place to die with dignity is just it's just so necessary. I watched my father pass away during COVID, and it was heart wrenching, just heart wrenching for him and us as a family. And uh, I feel your your plight. I feel your plight. Thank you, Bill. Thank, Thank you, you for the call. Let me let me bring into the conversation your lawyer, please, Amitai Heller. Hello, Amitai. Welcome to the show today. Hello. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Good, uh, Mr. Heller. Can you tell us a little bit um, what what are you you know what are you thinking about as a lawyer? Are you admitted in Connecticut, Vermont? Do you have a particular interest in in helping with this kind of issue, this kind of case, or is this something that is your first time out trying to help Linda? Um, thanks for the question. So I am licensed in Louisiana and I'm licensed in Oregon, but I work for a national nonprofit called Compassion and Choices. And we work on issues related to expanding end-of-life care and end-of-life options um, through the legislature, through litigation, through advocacy work. So we we uh, help a lot of individuals trying to seek these end-of-life options. Um, we're working with local attorneys in Vermont and another firm that's national called Wilmer Hale on this issue. Why do you feel personally? Why are you devoting your sense of time to this? For, for me personally, it's, it's, a, it's an issue of giving people what they want at the end of life. Um, you know, I think that it's it's extremely important for me, for my family, for people in my community, and for the clients I work with that um, that they have the closure that they seek, that the death that they want, the death that they end up having is kind of in accordance with the way that they lived, with their values. Um, and I think that's extremely true of my interactions with Linda um, and her family, which is that she is a person who knows what she wants. She's lived her life in a specific way. Um, and there's just, in my mind, no rational reason to deprive her from having this death that offers her closure and peace. So what are some of the breaks? What are some of the checks and balances that you would, that you would think are reasonable and that you would advocate for in terms of recognizing that human nature is not always that is not always that optimistically good-natured. Absolutely. So there's a pretty uh, 
pretty standard at this point way that the laws work around medical aid and dying in America and the jurisdictions where it's been authorized. Um, and those are standards that we advocate for, which is that a person has to be mentally capable to make a decision. They have to have a prognosis of six months or less to live. Um, and they have to be over 18. And then there's other types of checks checks that come in in various states depending on um, like waiting periods and things like that, depending on uh, what the state legislatures want. Do you and, advocate, you know, I'm curious, do you advocate for doctors being able to decide whether or not they're going to assist patients, that doctors themselves have agency over this decision? Absolutely, yeah. We, we don't believe that doctors should or any medical professional should have to participate if, if it's not something that they're comfortable doing. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the Lisa Wexler Show. We're going to be right back. We're going to continue the conversation with Linda Bluestein, who's in the studio. So is her husband, Paul, and so is her attorney. And we welcome your input as well at 203-333-9422. We're talking about compassionate aid in dying on the Lisa Wexler Show. We'll be right back. From Norwalk to New Canaan, from Monroe to Milford, Fairfield County listens to The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. We are on the air with Linda Bluestein, who's in the studio with us. Uh, her attorney, Amitai Heller, who is with an organization called CompassionandChoices.org. We're talking about the right to die in the wake of Linda's um, untimely a diagnosis of a pretty, uh, a pretty aggressive cancer. Yes. Have you been in pain throughout this uh, since the diagnosis, Linda? Uh, I was in pain before I was treated with surgery, and uh, then I had um, 19 weeks of chemotherapy, which was no fun. Uh, then I went through a period of just recovering from the the ravages of surgery and um, the chemotherapy. And uh, went into a remission and have been getting my strength back and getting back involved in the neighborhood. When I first got the diagnosis, I thought, well, it's all over. And so I quit this board and I quit that board and I quit getting involved. And then I started feeling better and better and said, well, you know, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) I'm going to take advantage and live as fully as I can, knowing that I need um, a big symptom now is fatigue. I don't have a lot of energy. So, Compared to what you used to have, huh? To what I used to because have. I recognized your name, but I've had thousands and thousands of guests on the show. And I couldn't remember why, but my producer looked you up because we do have our catalog. And, and Linda, I guess you have been a pretty strong voice in your BlackRock community. Yes, I've been <clears throat> the communicator for uh, Scaleback BlackRock. We were looking at th- this, the amount of development that had been going on since COVID when these big high-rise apartment buildings went up where the movie theaters were, and then they were going to put up another uh, six-story building adjacent to Dunkin' Donuts at the most deadly intersection in our entire community on Ellsworth Street, where you've got the Burroughs Center and you've got a Dunkin' Donuts and, and, you know... Just not a good idea, huh? Not a good idea. And then at the entrance to the area of Black Rock where we live... Uh, another three two-family lots had been combined, and they're going to put up a – they wanted a, a very large building. They've scaled it back slightly. But uh, high density, not enough parking. On-street parking is a big problem in the area. Have right you won now. any of these battles? Uh, 
only in the sense if we felt like we did the right thing and we got a neighborhood together. Oh, what a you know, shame. Planning, planning and zoning was uh, a lost cause for us. Because uh, BlackRock is Bridgeport. BlackRock is And Bridgeport. planning and zoning mm-hmm. in Bridgeport is not elected. It's That's appointed. Mm-hmm. And the people there are serving out expired terms for many years. Yeah. And they um, certainly have relationships with the um, leadership in the in the town. And so... Uh, we we felt like we ha- we were on the right side of the issues for all of the reasons. Parking and and density, of course, were big, but it was the public safety. We had these deadly intersections with more than forty fatalities at that one intersection. Wow! We, oh yeah, this is this is in the last five years. So we we were very concerned, and we see with all these restaurants, Black Rock's a hopping place. People like to come there for dinner and drinks, and we love it too. But getting an emergency vehicle down some streets is impossible when the restaurants are full. And you add another, you know, 50 units, you know, on three lots. And you then- know what it is? <laughs> what it is is that there, some neighborhoods develop over time, and they have a thing. They have a reason why they're a little bit more expensive than other neighborhoods, and they're a little bit more desirable than other neighborhoods. And then people come in, and they take advantage of it, and they ruin it. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, that's what it is. They ruin the vibe. You know, if you over-densify something, if you take out sunlight by making very tall buildings, if you don't put enough trees, Mm -hmm. if you have so much asphalt, you ruin the vibe that attracted everybody to go there to begin with. We all know what works. What what works are pedestrian-friendly areas where people that, as they're walking, feel like they're not surrounded by canyons. They're not surrounded by these big, tall... But we all know what works. You can ask urban planners. They can tell you what works. It's just that we don't do it. Anyway, Linda, just coming back to why we're here today. So I wanted to also just let our audience know a little bit. So you've been very active in BlackRock. And before that, your life has been full of activism. Isn't that right? From the beginning, from when I was a little girl selling Girl Scout cookies. Where did you grow up? <laughs> I grew up in Orange County, California. Oh, wow. You left the beautiful weather, and you came here. I love Connecticut. I do, but too. I was a tra- But Orange County yeah. is a beacon for weather. Uh, Laguna Beach. Oh, is that where you grew up? Okay. So, but, but I was what's called... Paul, a, what did you do? I, yeah. I was the trailing spouse in a corporate relocation. Ah, Okay. Good wife, huh? Do you have kids? We have two. We have a daughter, Amy, and a son, Jake, and twin granddaughters who were just here last week. Um, they are 16 now and getting behind the wheel. So they live in Colorado. Okay. So has your family been supportive of your advocacy on this Absolutely. right to dying? Absolutely. Right to live the way I want to live. Right to live. Okay. This This is really important that it's like I don't have a choice now between living and dying, living a long life. You know, 99 years isn't in my future, and I'm I'm comfortable with that. Are you? Yes, I really am. I really am. How do you get comfortable with that, Linda? Well, it, this is my third cancer diagnosis in a few years. My mother had three. We, we have a, you know, I, I have some DNA that's just, as my friend Kathy said, it's really crappy DNA. So... I can't change that, so why not just live fully? And that's, yes. that's why I get I, I got reactivated in the community. But I've always had you know meetings lined up. I've I when I moved here, I said, well, I've got to get involved in something. How about I'll just you know 
go to this PTA meeting and take over some issue that I care about. <laughs> that's <laughs> wonderful. So um, that's who I am. Did you raise your kids in Blackrock? Have you been in Blackrock a long time? No, no. We moved from Fairfield to Blackrock um, after the... We say, um, I say, we got rid of the kids. We didn't kill them or anything, but they, they, they moved out of the house, and we found a lovely place to live in St. Mary's by the Sea. Which oh, is yes, just... it's quite pretty. So, Paul, I'm going to put you on mic. You've got your headphones there. Hi, Paul. Hello. Hi, Paul Bluestein. I will say that, Paul, you and I met not too long ago because you won an award from the Connecticut Press Association for a book of poetry. Congratulations. Thank you. But Andrew introduced you as Dr. Yes. So you're a physician as well? Yes. Are you retired? I am. So this has been, I'm going to guess, a terribly tough year for you? Yes. Um, I think that um, there have been good things. Yes. Um, Linda and I have, have been close throughout the year. When I was in practice, I took an oath to help my patients. And when I got married, I took a vow to stand by my wife. And this has given me a chance to fulfill the promise of that veil. As a physician, Paul, would you sign up to assist people under circumstances of terminal illness to help them hoard the appropriate amount of pills or whatever it was that would be their exit strategy? Would you assist them? I've been an advocate for um, compassion in dying for several years, long before Linda was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I believe that that decisions related to how a patient lives their final days should be between themselves, their family, and their doctors. Um, People, when I practiced, one of the things I came to understand, which is not hard to understand, is people don't want to die in an institution. That's true. They don't want to die in an ICU with tubes and wires and respirators. They want to die in their bed. Mm -hmm. They want to die at home. They want to die with their family standing by them. Um, That's often not easy to accomplish. Most people don't die at home. Most people do die. No, they don't. No, most people die in an institution. They die in hospitals. Yes. Um, Linda doesn't want that. and you know that that must be a relatively new thing in human history. Oh, it is. You know that um, Jimmy Carter was the first president to not be born at home? Did you know that? Mm-hmm. I did. And so for most of human history, people were born and died in their homes, not in hospitals. I certainly saw that as a little girl in Texas. Did you? Death was close, and, and it was real. We... we I lived in a you know in a ranching communities and we we were cattle ranchers before our Orange County before Laguna before, Beach. Or, or, <laughs> Laguna Beach came when I was six years old. Okay, but you know the early years. Yeah. you know I remember you know people were laid out in the living room. Yes, like Scarlett O'Hara, like the father in Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I wasn't scarlet, but, you know. No, but I remember that scene very vividly <laughs> because it was so different than when I than what I thought about death. It seemed macabre, you know, but I hear what you're saying, doctor. Yeah. <clears throat> the, um, the idea of what people like to call physician-assisted suicide is really a misnomer. Um, this, is, this is not doctor's who are helping patients take their lives. Their disease is taking their lives. 
Um, it's the disease that's killing them. Um, it's not the medications. It's not the doctor. Um, and I think that if that's not a choice people would make for themselves, that's fine. They don't have to. They don't have to. But, so but sort they, of like the whole right to choose. <laughs> um, so I, I am supportive of Linda. I will stand by her, whatever decision she makes, um, because I think this has been her life. We've been married for more than 40 years. Mm -hmm. It's been the best time of my life. It was a miracle mm. for me. My life has been a miracle. Um, and so that, that I intend to help Linda. Paul and Linda, thanks for being with us. We're wrapping it up mm -hmm. because the clock is going to cut me off any second. Um, I wish you everything good. Thank you. Everything good, everything healthy and everything good. And we'll be following your journey. Thank you very much. Paul Lisa. and Linda Bluestein on the Lisa Wexer Show. We'll be right back.